Are you ready for the word this morning? I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling Such Love. What I want you to really see through the message today is that the Father's love has never changed for us. The way we see His love can change. We can grow deeper in that love. And if I have to be totally honest with you, having walked this journey for a while, I'll even talk to believers once in a while that say, I just don't feel like the Father loves me. Has the Father stopped loving someone? Of course not. It's our perception is what changes. And why does our perception change? Our perception changes because we have this tendency to put filters in place. We lay filters over God's love. We lay filters over His grace. And anytime you start putting filters over something, what it does is it filters other things out. And so that's what I really want to minister today is that His love never changes for us. His love is always constant. It's just the way we see His love. And that's why it's so important to have this message, this gospel of His love, this gospel of peace, this gospel of grace continuously dripping into our soul, man. Why? Because the spirit man is perfect. He's not going to get any better than he already is. It's the soul man, the mind, the will, the emotions that needs to get saturated with Papa's love. Amen? There was a daddy that was walking through a shopping mall one day. He held hands with his two-year-old son. And for every step he took, his little guy had to take three or four steps. You kind of get the picture, don't you? So even though they were walking the same distance, technically he was walking three to four times as far as his daddy was, taking three to four times as many steps. And as they journeyed along, the little guy began to get a little cranky, a little tired, a little wearied. He began to grumble a little bit. He began to complain. (laughs) Who does that sound like? (laughs) Well, that sounds like you. That sounds like me. We're walking along. We're holding daddy's hand. But there's times we get tired, we get wearied, we start complaining, we really don't have anything to complain about. Why? Because we're losing touch with Papa's love and Papa's grace and Papa's provision. So he fought with that a little while and he realized, oh man, this isn't going to work. So he reached down and he scooped up his little two-year-old. And he brought him close to his chest and he just hugged him ever so tight. And he did something like I would do. He broke out in an impromptu song. (laughs) He started singing over his little guy real quietly, but out loud. He started singing lyrics like, I love you. I'm so glad you're my boy. Lyrics like, you make me laugh. And as they went from store to store, he never stopped singing. He didn't care who was standing next to him. As he was checking out, giving the cashier the money, he continually sang that song. And that song was drifting into his little son's heart. And his son began to get calmed down. Not a single word, daddy said, rhymed. His daddy sang off key. 
What did that song sound like? I love you, son. I'm so glad you're my boy. You make me laugh. Oh, you bring me joy. Oh, that's just my rendition. I don't know what his daddy's song sounded like. That's what it would sound like to me. And the little guy just fell asleep, captivated by daddy's song. When he finished shopping that day, he walked to the car. And his arm felt like it was going to fall off. His arm had fallen asleep like his son. But if you've ever had a child and you've ever carried a little boy, a little girl, there's something precious about when they fall asleep. You don't want to wake them. And, and you know, sometimes just the littlest things will disturb them. And so you'll suffer with them. Well, they're not suffering. You will suffer yourself just so you don't have to disturb them. Oh, and by the time they reached the car, daddy's arm was just suffering. He unlocked the car. And he gently reached in and sat his little two-year-old in the car seat. And then he quietly reached up and grabbed the harness and brought it down. And when he clicked it in, <laughs> that little boy woke up. And the first thing he did is he threw his arms up into the air and he said, sing it to me again, daddy. Sing it to me again. You see, that was the last thing he remembered. That daddy was good. Daddy was singing to me. Suddenly I lost touch of the world because I fell asleep. But sing it to me again, daddy. Friends, the entire Bible declares the faithfulness of our father to carry his tired children. The faithfulness of daddy to constantly sing over us with such love. Amen? Now let me ask you a question. Why is daddy singing over us? Come on. Why would daddy sing over us? Friends, it's because he loves us. That's not a trick question. It's because he loves us. Daddy sings over us because he cares about us. Daddy sings over us because he cherishes us. He celebrates us. But most of all, daddy sings over us because we are his. We're his kids. And he loves singing over him. He not only has the lyrics, but all the music, the whole orchestra is built into daddy's voice. It is. He sings over us so that he can allay every fear and calm every single nerve. He sings over us so that we can rest in the tireless arms of Papa. We see this truth in Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 15, 16, and 17. The Bible says, The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. What a beautiful set of verses. Friends, let me draw your attention back to that 15th verse. It says, the Lord has taken away your punishment. 
I want you to meditate on that for just a moment. I mean, that single truth right there all by itself will rock your world. It will change your world if you will believe that verse. The Lord has taken away your punishment. You know what I do with a scripture like that when I meditate on it for a while? I fall asleep in the loving heart of Papa. I fall asleep, friends, knowing that he loves me. I fall asleep in the revelation of such love. It says, the Lord will take away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. Well, friends, do you hear that? He has turned back your enemy. In other words, your enemy is going in a different direction. When you turn something back, you've sent them back to where they've come from. You're moving this way. The enemy is moving in a different direction. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Please lock those words in the treasure chest of your heart this morning. Never again will you fear any harm. I'm telling you right now with everything that's going on in this world, I've never seen it like this before. I've seen pockets where there's been fear. New York City experienced this several years ago. I've seen other situations, earthquakes, disasters, whatever, where a pocket of people were experiencing fear. But here we are, a pandemic across the world, and fear is running like a wild dog. Yiping, napping at people's heels, causing them to be afraid. But if we rely on the scriptures, we not just rely on the words, but the heart of the scripture he says never again will you fear any harm on that day they will say to jerusalem do not fear zion i love this it says do not let your hands hang limp in other words he's saying don't let anyone or anything steal your praise like the little man we can throw our hands in the air and say sing it again daddy sing it again this is the Lord, thy God is in the midst of thee, is mighty. He will save. And he, friends, he has saved. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. What kind of love am I talking about? Such love. He will joy over thee with singing. When I consider those truths, I fall into a deep sleep, if you will in the revelation of what kind of love. And then I don't sleep forever. I have to wake up like the little man too. But when I do, I throw my hands in the air and I say, sing it again, daddy. Tell me that you love me. Tell me that I'm your boy. Tell me that I make you laugh. Are you kidding me? We make God laugh? Yes. I think God is in a good mood all the time. I think he's cracking up from us all the time. He's not some stiff God sitting on a chair up there going, please, please, please. And he's just laughing at us. He's laughing with us. In fact, he is our source of laughter. He is our source of joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that joy is a fruit of the spirit. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Why doesn't everyone see such love? It's a great question. Why doesn't everyone see such love? Why doesn't everyone believe that the Father's love is unconditional, inexhaustible, irrevocable, and inseparable? What did I just say there? I said it's unconditional. That means it's not based on conditions that if you do this, then I'll do this. The Father's love is unconditional, okay? His love is inexhaustible. In other words, his arms never tire. <laughs> the Bible says his arms are not even short. His hand is not closed. 
His arms never tire. He's inexhaustible. He's all power. He's all strength. He's all glory. He's all majesty. We never exhaust his love for us. His love for us is irrevocable. That means he won't revoke it. He won't take it back. Why? The Bible says, I will never leave you or I'll never forsake you. He's going to stay with you full of love, full of power and inseparable. I love that. And of course, if you read uh, Romans chapter eight in the latter part of those verses, those are some of my favorite verses. It talks about what would separate us from the love of God. And man, it lists about 15 different things. And it said that can't do it. That can't do it. Devils can't do it. Angels can't do it. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. His love is inseparable. I'll tell you why. People don't see the love of God. They don't see his unconditional love and all these other attributes. It's because, listen to me carefully, listen to me carefully on this, it's because they have mistakenly or ignorantly, and when I say that, I don't mean it the way it sounds, I mean just unlearned. They have mistakenly or they have ignorantly filtered the Father's love through old covenant paradigms and ideologies rather than filtering his love through the cross of Christ and through the gospel of grace. Now, I know that was a churchy answer. Let me see if I can clear that up for you a little bit, okay? That did sound kind of churchy, didn't it? <laughs> what did I just say? I'm saying that we lay filters in front of grace. And a lot of people are just happy with where they're at. They don't want any of their filters removed. They don't want the filters of his love removed. They don't want the filter of his mercy removed because they're afraid to see what's on the other side of that. Friends, he's pure love. Pure love. I want you to imagine with me that you get a call from your friend and your friend says, I want you to come over Saturday morning. We're going to work in my garden. And you go over there and gardening's hard work, man. It's hard work. It really is. We're going to plant. We're going to hoe. We're going to de-weed this thing. We're going to work hard. It's a 95 degree morning, man. You have just sweated. You've just toiled in that garden. It's been a hard morning. Finally, your friend says, how about if we take a break, go and get a sandwich, something to drink? Oh, that would be lovely. Now imagine you go in there, your friend's house, and your friend says to you, what would you like to drink? She says, well, do you have any milk? Oh, I've got milk. And she pours you a nice tall glass of milk. She said, but wait a second here now. And then she gets out a yellow onion. She takes the skin off that yellow onion. And she slices and dices and minces and whatever that onion into a thousand pieces. And then just rakes it off the cutting board into your glass of milk. And said, just let that sit there for a couple of minutes. And let all that meld together. Let's stir it up a little bit here. Friends, let me tell you something. <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrible sounding concoction, isn't it? Did you know that there would be no way to separate that onion flavor from your milk? There'd be no way to do that once that's all melded together. There'd just be no way to do that. In fact, the thought of that combination is like fingernails on a chalkboard to me anyway. If you get my point, it's an awful mixture. A mixture that no one in their right mind would crave. In the same manner, take that concept, in the same manner when you add the law to grace. What is the law? The law is 613 Jewish commandments, including the Ten Commandments. And if you add any one of those, that doesn't matter if you add 1, 2, 10, 100, 500, if you add any part of the law to grace, 
it's a terrible mixture. It's either you have to obey the entire law, which nobody can do, or you might as well forsake the entire law. I don't mean you become a rebel and you do dishonest things. Don't get me wrong on that. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about the law is not our master. Jesus Christ is our master. Like the milk and the onions, when you mix law with grace, old covenant with new covenant, you end up like a cranky two-year-old in a shopping mall. That's a bad combination. You see, the milk loses its appeal to you. And I'm telling you, it would be work to drink something like that. That would be work. A lot of work. That's what Jesus was getting at when he spoke to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And when Jesus said to them in Luke chapter 5, verse 37 and verse 38, these words. He said, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. What? <laughs> what on earth is Jesus talking about? Jesus was talking about the two covenants, the old wineskin and the new wine, and he plainly told them in those scriptures, he said, they don't belong together. If you want old wine in an old wineskin, fine. If you want new wine in a new wineskin, that's even better, he said, but you don't put them together. He said, if you mix the law and the grace together, he said, it's like putting new wine in an old wineskin. It will burst and you will lose both of them. You have to be willing to forsake the one covenant for the other. And I have no problem with that. I mean, initially I did. And that's why I said when I opened up the, the service this morning, it's more of a slow drip. This gospel of grace takes some time to drip in your heart because as it's dripping, it's changing the way you think. It's changing the way you feel. It's changing the way you see the Father and the way you hear the scripture speaking. Here's the problem. The hands of the teachers of the law and the hands of the Pharisees had been limp too long. They didn't know what it was like to be close to daddy's chest. They didn't have a relationship like that. They were steeped in religion. They wouldn't have been able to even sing the song, sing it to me again, daddy, <laughs> sing it to me again. They just wouldn't have done that. I mean, that's one of the things that Jesus crucified just simply because he went away from the name God and called him father. And they hated that. They're like, father, what you, you're disrespecting him. No, he's my daddy. I didn't call my father by his first name. Hey, Newton, how you doing? That just wouldn't have been right. He was daddy growing up. And so we would say, daddy, you know, dad, daddy, papa, whatever it was, you know. And Jesus said, listen, I want to reveal the heart of my father. I want to reveal the heart of my daddy. You see, just before Jesus told him those Words right there told the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws, those words about the wineskin. He looked at them and he said, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days, he said, they will fast. Jesus was telling them that the old covenant was going to pass away when the bridegroom was taken. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there's no need to fast while the bridegroom is here, but there's going to come a time when the bridegroom's taken he said, then they can fast. In other words, such law will be supplanted by such grace. So the question emerges, what was the purpose of the law? 
I mean, I don't know if I can give you any new revelation on this. I don't think we need one. I think we need to fasten our hearts on something in the word of God that shows us what is the purpose of the law, because the law had a purpose. The law is good. It's holy. It's righteous. I mean, it is. It's all of those wonderful things. It came from God. So the purpose of the law, simply Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, it says, wherefore the law was. I want to draw your attention to that little verb, was. Do you notice that? It doesn't say is. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. Not is. Not is going to be. It speaks of past tense. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So it's saying the law was our schoolmaster. Schoolmasters, just so you know, were not teachers. It sounds like they were teachers, but they're not. Schoolmasters were just people who would walk children to school. They were called schoolmasters. Sometimes you would designate maybe an uncle in the family, maybe a bigger brother, an older brother, a cousin, whatever it may be, a good friend, but his job was to walk your children to school so that uh, they could be protected and so that they could get to school, period. And so when Paul is writing about these scriptures, he's basically saying there was a schoolmaster at one time. There was a law, if you will, at one time for the Israelites. And what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to protect them. And it was to show everybody in particular, Israel's enemies, that God was with them. The same message that it transmitted when the schoolmaster was walking with the little kids. Somebody's with them. They're protected. That was the purpose of the law, to hem Israel in from herself almost, but to hem her in from her enemies. So we are not justified by law and faith. Very important to understand that. We are justified by faith alone. Justified is a big word to just say we are made right. We are declared innocent. We are righteous by faith alone. Not faith plus, faith alone. Amen? It's not Mr. Clean and faith. It's not scrubbing bubbles and faith. It's faith alone that we're justified by. There's many scriptures like that, but let's take a look at Galatians 2.16. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? It clearly tells us man is not justified by his works, the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. I really do love that verse. It's a beautiful verse. It's a verse that keeps drawing my attention back and keeps my hand just so secure in Papa's hand that I realize there is nothing inside of me that justifies me apart from Jesus Christ. There's no law. There's none of those 613 laws that justify me. The law counts for nothing. Again, it doesn't mean that we're a rebel. It doesn't mean that we're an outlaw. It doesn't mean that we go out and break laws. No, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And the Bible says it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodly lust and worldly passions. It's the grace of God that becomes our teacher, not the law of God. Many believers uh, and unbelievers too, I would say, cannot see the unconditional love of the Father 
because they have made one mistake. They have added law to grace. They have mixed the old covenant with the new covenant. They have put new wine in an old wineskin like onions in a glass of milk. It's repulsive and it brings tears, friends, like a two-year-old in the shopping mall. It's tiring. I know that because I was there at one time. Not really working to please the Father, not consciously necessarily saying, I've got to work today to please you. Subconsciously, that was programmed into my heart that God is just not happy with those that sit around and do nothing. No, God is happy with you. Father's happy with you. And if you're going through a health situation and you can't work, he's happy with you. If you're going through an emotional situation and you just don't feel like ministering to somebody, he's happy with you. He doesn't let you walk again and say, you know what, just hold, I'll let you hold my hand. I'm not going to hold you though. until you, No, he's not a manipulative God. He's not a manipulative father. Yesterday, we had that big storm come through over where we were at. And it didn't last long, but boy, when it came through, it was very windy, very dark, lots of rain. Man, I've never seen it rain so hard. It was raining pretty hard. And then 10 or 15, 20 minutes later, the sun was out. It was just as calm as can be. The storm had moved through and on. Shortly after that, maybe 10 or 15 minutes after that, our electric went out. I mean, now the sun's shining. It's a beautiful day. You stayed on while it was raining and storming and windy, but now it's out. When everything went out, the only thing that stayed on was my computer, and that's because I had a battery in it. But let me ask you a question. Did you know that these light switches in here will still work going up and down? They'll still mechanically move up and down whether there's power to those switches or not. They'll still move up and down but they'll no longer be able to turn on the light. If you disconnect the power to this building, those switches will not be able to turn on the light. Why? Because the power has been taken away. And so it is, so it was with the old covenant. You can go through all the motions. You can be up one moment and down the next, obeying every law, right down to the jot and tittle. But the power has been disconnected. There is no power in the law. The law was powerless, the Bible says. I'm passionate about this because I see bleeding hearts all over. We minister to people all the time. Their hearts are bleeding. I had a friend the other day. He said, the way you're talking, you sound like you're giving people a license of sin. I said, we all got one of those. I mean, I don't have one in my wallet, but if I want to sin, I've got the privilege, I guess, to do that. It's dumb. But no, you'll never hear me say that. You'll never hear a grace minister say that. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It does. The power from the law has been disconnected. Its arms to carry you have atrophied. <laughs> it can't pick up nothing. You see, friends, it's like an arm that's been in the cast for a while. Leave it in the cast for six weeks or so. When you take it out of that cast, friends, that arm will be skinnier than the other one. I don't care if that arm was bigger going into the cast or not. That arm hasn't done anything in six weeks, eight weeks. That arm will be skinnier. You won't have hardly any strength. Anybody ever had a cast on their arm? Well, I've never had one in my arm, but I know people that have had casts on their arm and skinny and hairy and white. And it's just, it's a terrible looking thing. And it doesn't have any strength. It's got to get built back up again. That's kind of what the law is like. It atrophied. It lost its strength. It lost its muscle, if you will. Friends, let me tell you something. The law will never say to you, I love you. 
The law will never say to you, I'm so glad you're my boy. The law will never say to you, you make me laugh. Never. That's not what it's designed to do. It's not designed for that. The law was powerless to take away our punishment and powerless to turn back our enemy. Only the sacrifice Christ can take away our punishment and turn back our enemy. Oh, such a love. I've said this before, but I, I'll say it again. Friends, let me tell you something. Holding on to the law after you come to Christ is like holding on to the placenta after the baby is born. It is not necessary. You keep the baby and you throw away the placenta. The placenta can never be used again. It is a one and done every single time. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after this faith is come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. The placenta of the law has been cut away and discarded. Very, very true. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, we find these words. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Well, there's a beautiful verse right there, isn't it? Romans 8, 3. It says, for what the law was powerless to do. It was powerless. As Paul is writing this, he says, so let me tell you something. Let's juxtapose two things. The law was powerless, but the Son of God wasn't. He wasn't. He became a sin offering for you because the law could not help you out of that sin. Mixing the old covenant with the new covenant is like serving a dinner guest a cold glass of milk chock full of onions and then insisting that they drink it. You're going to see a response from that person that you've never seen before. I mean, it's a quizzical combination. It's comically odd. Friends, holding on to the law after you come to Christ, listen to me very carefully, is a pyrrhic victory. Now, there's a word you don't use very often. Let me spell it for you. P-Y-R-R-H-I-C, pyrrhic victory. A victory that inflicts such a devastating toll on the victor, the person that's winning, that it is tantamount or equal to defeat. That's a pyrrhic victory. Holding on to the law is like that. You ever heard the old saying, you've won the battle, but you've lost the war? A pyrrhic victory. Imagine with me 100 men go to war against 100 men. And after many hours of fighting, the cannons quiet. They grow silent. And the battlefield is motionless. And one man is left standing. 199 of those 200 men have perished. <laughs> that man beats his chest and he says, I've won! That's a Pyrrhic victory. Yes, you did. You may be the last man standing, but it was at great, great cost. Everybody else is motionless. Let me show you an image of what a Pyrrhic victory looks like. Does that speak for itself? Here's a dog that loves to chase birds, loves to catch birds. But he's so fixated on the bird. 
Oh, and he might with one last lunge catch that bird, but he doesn't realize at the same time, I'm going over the cliff. That is a Pyrrhic victory. It's also a Pyrrhic victory when a Christian believes that the law is their helper to maintain their salvation. You see, the believer that believes that is still going to heaven like that. Why? Because if he's saved, it's a finished work. You can't undo that. Remember, it's forever. It's still a finished work. But believers that get trapped under the weight of the law win at great cost. Not great cost necessarily in the by and by, but great cost here. They have forfeited the peace that Papa brings when he sings over us. You forfeit something here. I know that. Your mind plays tricks on you. You're in agony. Maybe sometimes it's intermittent. But I'm telling you, unless you say, I want new wine in new wine skins, I'm telling you, you will not walk in the peace of God. You will not walk in the grace of God. Friends, if such love cannot carry you and calm you when you're tired, and when you're grumbling, and when you're complaining, then nothing can. I'm telling you again that Jesus's blood worked. It worked perfectly. It worked sufficiently. Absolutely. You see, in reality, the law was powerless to carry you or to sing over you. The law was powerless to save you, friends. The law was powerless to take away our punishment. The law was powerless to turn back our enemy powerless to allay every fear and calm every nerve. The law was powerless to bring rest. The law was powerless to scoop you up in its arms and rejoice over you with joyful singing. The law was powerless to say, I love you. I'm so glad that you're my boy. You make me laugh. Zephaniah, there it is. Chapter three, verse 15 through 17. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. And what does he do? We rest in that love. The Bible says he will joy over thee with singing. The father joys over you with singing, Treva. Been doing it a long time. But he didn't start the day you were born. He was doing it before creation because we were created in his heart long before he planted trees. We were created in the heart of God. I want you to imagine with me just for a moment, it's a warm summer day and someone comes along and knocks on your door. When you approach that door, you behold through that screen a friend. Now imagine with me for a second that you have to look through multiple screens, two screens, three screens, four screens, 10 screens. You know what's going to happen? The image of your friend is going to grow more and more faint the more screens that you have to look through. Why? Because screens act as filters, and the more screens you look through, the more distorted the image becomes. In fact, if you have too many screens in front of you, too many filters in front of you, you're going to lose the entire image. I want to show you something here. Such love. Now, this is the name of the message, such love. Isn't that crystal clear? Now let's put a screen, one screen over that. That's not, as, not quite as clear, is it? Let's put another screen over that. Not quite as clear. Now we'll just look through a fourth screen. Not quite as clear. A fifth screen. Not as clear. A sixth screen. Not as clear. A seventh screen. Not as clear. Stop. This is my point. 
When you keep laying screens of performance over Papa's love and Papa's grace and Papa's mercy, what happens is we don't see him like he wants us to see him in all of his goodness and all of his love and all of his grace. And I said to the father, even in the last month or so, I said, Papa, this is what people are doing. They're laying screens over this awesome grace. They're saying, no, thank you. I believe the way I want to believe. They're laying screens over how merciful you are and how loving kind you are and you know what happens it distorts the image and friends if you laid enough screen the entire image would disappear does that make sense to you listen a man that walks through those curtains right there and just gives his heart to Jesus is just as saved as I am and I've been saved 25 years he's just as saved as Billy Graham was the same Holy Spirit would live in him that lives in you and me and us and we the same Holy Spirit but we come into the relationship already believe in a certain way. And if you're not open to hearing about daddy's truth, you're not going to ever see it. You're going to stay behind the screens. You're going to see him the way you've always saw him and think that that's normal. You know, a person that's had cataracts for long enough, they pretty soon they get to the point they just that's just normal for them. Valerie's daddy had needed hearing aids and he didn't even probably know it. And then he finally got hearing aids. And he walked outside and he said, what is this noise? What is this noise? What is this noise I'm hearing? I don't know who it was, Valerie or her mom. Someone said, well, that's birds, daddy. That's what birds sound like? Yeah, that's birds. Well, I haven't apparently heard birds for years. Why? Screams over the ears. Screams over the eyes. They act as filters. How is that, you ask? Because what screens do is they filter out the light. That's what screens do. That is precisely what is happening through the teachings of the old covenant of law. The light is being filtered. Jesus is light. Jesus is the light. His grace gets filtered when a child of God embraces the law as their schoolmaster. He gets filtered. Like the law soaked Nicodemus, Many believers, every time they fail, they go in search of the placenta again. And they attempt to crawl back into their spiritual womb a second time and be born again. Now those Hebrew scriptures, bring those back to me. These are my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible right here. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. I want you to see, friends, I want to indelibly etch this in your hearts this morning, that it's a one-time deal, a one-time sacrifice for Christ. He says, and by that will, whose will is that? That's daddy's will, by God's will. We have, speaks of past tense, speaks of a finished work. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let's just stop for a moment now and think about this. The next time you think about you want to be more holy, friends, you're as holy as you're going to get. Because if you translate holy as your own acts, well, then you're going to perceive that you're getting holier. What you really need to do is kick that screen door off its hinges, to be honest with you. You've become holy by Jesus' body on the cross. Is that what the scripture says? What does it say right there? It says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. What was he doing? <laughs> it was the temple. Where sacrifices were going on, blood from bulls and goats and lambs and 
uh, turtle doves and pigeons or whatever you could afford were being sacrificed. Blood was everywhere. Little bells were ringing. All kinds of incense was burning. All kinds of visual things that were going on. And he said that priest had to stand day after day after day. His work was never done. He said that priest stands day. This is the high priest I'm talking about. Day after day, every high priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. It's like it's wearing him out. It's wearing me out just to say it again and again. He offers the same sacrifices. Look at those words, which can never take away sins. Now, I wish I could take credit for writing that, but I can't. But it is in the word. He's saying all those sacrifices that you keep bringing me, those can never really take away sins you might get them covered you might get a clean conscience out of all this and i'll turn you away and you might feel a little bit better but he said but those can never take away sins now that's the first parts of those verses then we get a but look at the but but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin what priest jesus not the high priest of the day but jesus when that one priest offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And then my favorite verse of the whole Bible. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect. How long? Forever. Can you get any better than perfect? You can't get better than perfect. Perfect means it's perfect. It means you can't add anything to it to make it any more pure, any more perfect. And he says, by Jesus's once for all sacrifice, once for all meaning his one time and once for you too, that once for all sacrifice, he has, speaks of a finished work, he has made perfect forever. I'm glad they inserted that word forever in there, man, because you could go, well, See, I bought things before that were in perfect condition when I got them. I've got a, a brand new car. It's got 5,000 miles on it. And the engine's light on, is on right now. It was perfect when I drove it away. Now the engine's light is on. So nothing stays, as we know, in perfect condition, right? It all deteriorates. But those scriptures right there say, He has made you and me, us that call on His name, He has made us Perfect, you cannot improve upon it. He can't even improve upon it. He has made you perfect. How long? Come on. Forever. Who? Those who are made holy. That There's your key. You got to be made holy. Got to go back to verse 10. He says you were made holy by his body on the cross. You can't take credit for anything. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, it bathes my heart. I feel like I'm laying up next to daddy's chest and he's singing over me. <laughs> I do. Oh, man. Unfortunately, though, there are millions of believers that continue to pray salvation prayers over and over again. They figure they might as well hedge their bet. What have I got to lose? They more or less what they say. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you think they do that? They got a misunderstanding. I'll be honest with you. I've done that before, too. I have. And everybody in this room has done that. Be honest with yourself. You've done that. Here's why they do that. Because, and I asked the Holy Spirit, so why do they do that? I said, Daddy, why do they do that? Why did we do that? And here's what I felt the Holy Spirit say back to me. 
because many have went through a season where it felt like their electric had been turned off. It felt like the power was gone. See, we're such a feely tribe, you know? We want to feel. I'm not just talking about touching each other, which is wonderful, two hugs and everything. But I'm talking about emotionally, if we don't feel something, we start measuring, well, something's wrong with me. Because I'm not feeling a certain way. So that was the first thing I heard him say, because people have went through a season. Sometimes it's a long duration, a long period of time, where they have felt like their electric's been turned off. What I mean by that is the power's been turned off. Some people pray those prayers over again because it's been so long since they heard the tender voice of Papa say, I love you. I'm so glad you're my boy. I'm so glad you're my little girl. You make me laugh. It had been so long since they heard anything like that. And they're starving, emotionally starving to hear these kind of words. I've told you before, I don't remember one time growing up of ever hearing my daddy say, I love you, son. Maybe he did. I don't remember it. We were made in his image, and his image is love. He wants to love us. He wants us to experience his love, but it's not always about feelings. He loves us regardless of how we feel. Sometimes we've just put too many filters in place. And if we would just remove the filters, we'd go, oh, daddy, I see your love. I feel your love. So that's another reason. And then he said to me, they pray that prayer again, the prayer of salvation, because they have mistaken common adversity for punishment. Do you catch the flavor of what I just said there? I think you did. I mean, there's adversity. Jesus said, you're going to suffer persecution in this world. We live in a fallen world. Things are falling apart. I mean, there was a time in my life I had hair in this area of my head. And it's gone. I had hair back here, but it's gone. We're falling apart. But we've fallen into Christ. And sometimes when we walk through this world and we feel like things are falling apart. It's adversity. It's a fallen world that we live in. Don't concentrate on that. Don't be mindful just of that. Look to Christ. But you know what they, many people do? They go, oh, that must be my punishment. And we're hearing that even right now in the media is right now. God's punishing the world, the whole world. No, friends, if God was punishing the world, oh man, we'd be a grease spot. That's all we'd be. They pray that salvation prayer over and over again. Listen to me carefully. Because a well-respected minister, one they really love, comes along and puts a wineskin from the old covenant on them. Just when I thought I was moving into this revelation of daddy's love, this revelation of daddy's grace, this Man, this woman who I respect because they've been doing this for so long said this, they put a wineskin on you from the old covenant. 
It's multiple screens that they've just laid in front of you. Now you've got to let grace and love, unconditional love drip back in your heart to keep removing this clutter, these screens, these filters so that you can see such love up close and personal. The old covenant distorts the true image of the father by adding filters that bury such love. Friends, I want to tell you something. My journey into grace began about 10 or 11 years ago when I had to sit down in my chair at home one morning and begin an honest conversation with Papa. And it was in that conversation that I said, Father, please remove the filters that are inhibiting me from seeing your incessant goodness. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy prayer to pray? That's what I prayed. Almost identical to that. I said, Daddy, there's something in the way. There's something that's getting in the way. I know. You're better than the way I see you. You're more loving than the way I see you. You're more gracious. You're more kind than the way I see you. So something is between you and me because I know I'm your kid. Whatever it is, Daddy, I'm asking you to remove those filters, those screen doors, if you will. And I'm telling you, I don't know if it happened that day. I think it did. But instantly I could, I could sense there was something different changing. There was something changing on the inside of me. When I would open up his word, it would almost be like he shined a light in a certain area on the page of the Bible. My eyes would be drawn to that and he would minister to me from that. I mean, it was literally brighter than the rest of the pages. And I thought, what is going on here? And he said, I want you to see this through the lens of grace. I want you to see this through my heart. And it began to change me from the inside out. I saw him as a daddy that sings over his son. I heard the words, I love you, son. Nothing can separate you from my love. I'm so glad you're my boy. You make me laugh. I began to see him as a daddy that carried me when I was tired instead of a God that I was programmed with that would always tell me to work harder. Come on, boy, stay in step with me. I began to see daddy up close and personal, one that rejoices over me with joy and joys over me with singing. Amen? Now, I've showed you those screens. That's what happens when we lay one screen after another. The screens can come in the form of performance. They can come in the form of guilt and shame and fear and condemnation. Working your way, old covenant, old wineskin. I mean, they can come in many forms. They just keep screening over such love. When you add the screens of guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation, those are the ones I talk about the most, you'll be left with the image of a shopping mall dad that just drags you around from store to store. Your dad will have gotten all the stuff that he wanted but at the cost of a son that needed him. That is a pyrrhical victory. At the cost of a son that needed his daddy. Friends, the gospel of grace removes religious filters. The gospel of grace does not jerk us around a shopping mall with a firm hand. 
The gospel of grace lifts us up. The gospel of grace holds us close to daddy's heart and then sings over us with joy as his wonderful voice causes us to fall in rest with such love. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were cranky and grumblers out of step with the Father, it was then, it was on that occasion, it was on that timing right there that God's love, the Bible says, was poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Such good news, such love. Friends, Daddy has been holding us and Daddy has been carrying us for a very, very long time. When my kids were growing up, we used to sing one of the songs in the car. One came back to me as I was thinking about this message. It was literally called One True God. I don't have a God I can put on a stand or a God I hold in the palm of my hand. I have a God that's holding me. I don't have a thing that I got on my own and I don't have a care that I carry alone. I have a God who's carrying me. I don't need a temporary man-made deity for I've got the real thing. I've got the real thing. Amen. He's a loving God. He's a loving father. He's a loving papa. I don't know if there's any verses in the Bible that showcase his love any more than 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 19. It says these words, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. What kind of love am I talking about? I'm talking about such love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Friends, you don't need a million more scriptures to understand if the Father loves you or not. If you had to reduce the entire Bible down to just one set of scriptures that demonstrates God's love for you, that would be it right there. John 3.16 would work too. But it shows what love did for us. It shows the condition we were in. It tells us this great love that he has, that greater love hath no man that he lay down his life for his friends. Friends, in those three verses, the first three verses I just read here, we find much love, we find such love and we find touch love. All the stuff we need from Papa. I'm talking about a love that cannot be quantified. I'm talking about a love that cannot be nullified. And I'm talking about a love that cannot be modified. That's because it is a crucified love. Oh, such love can't be quantified, you can't measure it, can't be nullified, can't be made void, can't be modified, cannot be changed. Why? Because when there's the death of a person in their will, it cannot be altered. And Jesus did die. So let me ask you the question again. What gets in the way of us seeing and experiencing such love? It's simple, actually. It's because religion has taught us to look through screen doors. I'm talking about the screen door of performance. I'm talking again about the screen door of old covenant, the screen door of conditional life, 
the screen doors of an old wineskin. And in doing so, that philosophy, that other gospel, if you will, has filtered the loving heart right out of the Father and has kept us from seeing the Father that rejoices over us with joy and joys over us with singing. It continues, it says this, this is real love. You want to know what real love looks like? <laughs> Here it is. Not that we love God. See, the church will teach you that's your problem. You don't love God enough. Friends, look at these words here. It says, this is real love. Let's boil it down to a statement. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Something that bulls and goats couldn't do. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. Oh, I love these words. And his love is brought to full expression in us. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, his love has taken root. His love has manifest. His love has expressed itself. That's all a flower does when it comes up out of the ground. It comes up out of the ground and says, look who I am. I'm expressing my beauty. I'm showcasing what the Father has designed me to be. A tulip doesn't grow up looking like a rose. A rose doesn't come up looking like a daffodil. A rose is a rose because it was designed by the Father to be that way. And so it is with us, friends. Relying on Papa's heart. Relying on his love for us, not our love for him. Why? Because our love for him gets filtered. Remember? His love never changes. His love is constant. Our love can get filtered. It does. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit. Can you say thank you? Amen. God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. That's a powerful statement. I'm telling you what, there are people saved that you would go, that guy can't be saved. What does it say here? It says here, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm not talking about a passing statement, but I'm talking about they declare that he is the Son of God. He is. I have that revelation that he is the way, the truth, and life. He's the Son of God. He said everybody that declares that has God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. I love that. Friends, my trust is not in my love for him. My trust is in his love for me. Is that what the scripture says? It does. And we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect our love for him yes so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment very important there we are not going to be afraid on the day of judgment but we can face him with confidence because we live like jesus here in this world look at those words <laughs> that's where the inspiration came from for this message such love has no fear because perfect love 
expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced perfect love. It's a powerful statement right there. Very powerful. So if we walk in fear, we are not walking in perfect love in that area. Don't let it condemn you. Just ask Papa to start removing these filters that inhibit you from seeing that perfect love because it's about his love for us, not our love for him. We love each other because he first loved us. What does it say there? It says, if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. Do you remember when I shared those scriptures in Zephaniah with you? The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. So we have to understand that if we have this fear of punishment, we have to go back to the scriptures where it boldly tells us that the Lord has taken away our punishment. He will never punish us as believers, ever, never. My closing scriptures. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 12 through 19. I love these scriptures. In Him and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I love freedom to be able to go to my father. I love to have the confidence to know I'm never bugging him. Now, there are certain people you can get in front of and you can just tell you're bugging them. You've interrupted something they're doing. They just continue to kind of work. They just continue to look at their phone while you're talking to them. They're not really that interested in what you have to say. And the father who has his eye on every single thing that is going on, and yet I can come to him with confidence, the Bible says. I can approach my father with freedom and confidence, meaning I don't have to come to him in fear. Confidence. This is the way he wants us to come to him. Come with confidence. Come with freedom. He says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. This is what Paul is saying. He says, for this reason, what reason is he talking about? Through faith in him, through our God-given gift that we may approach him with freedom and confidence. He says, for those reasons right there, he said, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. He said, I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power. Uh, oh, the power's back on, friends, but it's not coming from the law. It's come from the Spirit. He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then He says, and I pray that you, <laughs> being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to look at that, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. A much love, a such love, a touch love, that kind of love. He says, I've got to give it to you and only in a way that you can understand. I'm going to talk to you in measurements, he said. This is the power of my love. It's wide, it's long, it's high, it's deep. Do you see my love for you? And it never stops when I say high. It's not a certain height. It's infinitely high. It's infinitely deep. It's infinitely wide. It's infinitely long. That's my love for you. Such love. Are you kidding me? Isn't this beautiful? 
He said, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, it goes beyond your head, friends. It goes beyond your brain. It gets into your heart. He said, surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. <laughs> friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the word today are these. The father understands what a Pyrrhic victory feels like. You see, he fought for fallen humanity and he purchased his kids back at great cost and great loss. The loss of his only begotten son of God, Jesus Christ. I'm talking about Jesus, a life that would be sacrificed once for all. In doing so, God demonstrated just how much he loved us. Friends, there is no greater, there's no greater display of love than his son was sacrificed. He demonstrated just how much he loved us. Through Jesus' sacrifice, the Lord has taken away our punishment and he has turned back our enemy. He has saved us. He rejoices over us with joy and he joys over us with singing. What is our response? We get to throw our hands into the air and we get to say, sing it to me again, daddy. Sing it to me again. That's our response. The father's love for us never changes. Only our perception changes as we mistakenly see him through the screen doors of performance and conditionality. His love is unconditional, inexhaustible, irrevocable, inseparable. I'm talking about a love that scoops us up and holds us next to his beating heart. A love that affirms us by singing over us. I love you. I love you, son. I'm so happy you're my boy. You make me laugh. Friends, the old wineskin, also known as the old covenant, was made obsolete when our bridegroom Jesus Christ was taken. We are no longer under the law. We are no longer under the supervision of the schoolmaster. There are no screen doors at the throne of grace. That's why we can come to the throne of grace, the Bible says. We can boldly come to the throne of grace where we obtain mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need the throne of grace has no screen doors the only door that is sitting there is Jesus Christ in all of his glory and that door is always wide open come 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 and see me come and see my father he's full of mercy he's full of grace he's full of love why deep long high love the filters have been removed. The arms of the law have atrophied. In Christ, we rest in Papa's love. In Christ, we drink new wine from a new wine skin. In Christ, the Father's love is brought to full expression. In Christ, we are lavished with a love that's wide and deep and long and high. In Christ, we encounter the sacrifice that was made once for all. And that sacrifice made us holy and perfect forever. Friends, it is only through Jesus Christ, it is only through his finished work of grace that you and me, he and she, they and we discover such love.
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Daddy, I just want to praise you. I really have preached myself happy, Daddy. I'm just like a little boy that just climbed up in Daddy's lap. And I hear you singing over me, Papa. I hear you singing your love over me. Such love. I hear your, your beating heart. I thank you, Father. I thank you for that privilege that we can come to the throne of grace. And we don't just bow before a marble throne of some sort. We get to climb up on our Papa's lap. We get to let you whisper sweet things into our heart. Again, things like, I love you, son. I'm so glad you're my boy. You make me laugh. I want to thank you, Father, that your love is constant. It never changes. It's not here one day and there another. It is steadfast until the very end. I want to thank you, Father, that we have many reasons to rejoice. I want to thank you because that love is so real and so active. And that love, the Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. Well, the first thing that perfect love has to deal with is the screen doors, the screen doors of performance and religion and man-centered ways of making himself right and holy. It deals with those things first. That's what the gospel of grace does. It shows you that it's only by grace that we've been saved. How? Through faith. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And thank you, Father, that you made us perfect forever. Thank you for a relationship that's not cold like a shopping mall, not hard and distant like a shopping mall, but it's up close, it's personal, it's warm, it's soft. It's a real person that we can grab a hold of and a person that grabs a hold of us. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for what he's done for us at the cross. One sacrifice worked. And what did he give out? Such love. In Jesus' name, amen.